0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Travel with a Chance of Murder, the travel and true crime podcast where we take you through the tips and tricks of visiting destinations around the globe and follow it up with a true
1: crime tale to try and scare you away a little bit. I'm Cassidy and I'll be your spooktacular storyteller, the host that walks you through each city or country's terrifying tale of true crime. On the other end of the mic, we have Allie, our travel guru, who takes us off of the bean path and helps us explore things we've never heard of, but definitely need to experience. Hey, Cassidy, where are we headed this week? That's a great question, Allie. I figured you're, you're so excited. I want you to do the honors to break okay. the news. <laughs> this week, I am pumped about this destination.
0: Guys, I'm always pumped about the destinations, but this <laughs> one just <laughs> is really doing it for me. This week we are headed back in time to the country of Egypt. Woohoo! I don't know. I didn't know much about Egypt before I started looking up information an hour ago, and <laughs> I have learned <laughs> I've learned so much and I know I say this every
1: time, but I am so excited to go visit Egypt. It's funny because I had one of those moments where, you know, how things just kind of fall into place. People who don't know, my job is like communications work. So one of my tasks is internal communications. So I interview fellow employees and talk about them. But one of them does our wave pool stuff and he's been all over the world. He did like 40 countries by the time he was 40. What? Et cetera. Yeah, he's like, I did 40 for 40 and 50 for 50, so now Ah! I need to do 80 for 80. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. That's the dream. Right? And we're so into travel, I was like, okay, but no, but really you have to only pick one. And he said his favorite was Egypt. No way! uh, Yeah! And I was editing it today and I was like, oh my gosh, I forgot. He said Egypt! So, anyway. Long story short, (laughs) it was meant to be. Well, I hope we do this justice, man.
0: So, some fast Facts for Egypt. Well, the official language, well, okay, let's start at the beginning. Egypt is in Africa. Egypt is on the eastern side of Africa, up at the very northeastern corner, I guess, of the continent. Egypt's one of the oldest destinations in the world. It was founded, people say, far back as 3200 BC, which just is infathomable to me of how old that is. The official language of Egypt is Arabic, but many people working in the tourism sector speak some English, so it's definitely a place that you can travel to. Just a disclaimer, as any place that you travel to, definitely look at any um, alerts out for that country before you go. Um, especially being a Middle Eastern country, there have been conflicts in this area in the past. Right now, Egypt is pretty safe to travel to, um, especially if you travel with a guide, but just make sure that you keep that in mind as with every destination.
1: Yeah, they said that when we studied abroad too. There was like this website that we were supposed to check as Canadians to look and see. And I was like, I'm going to England. Like what? why is this getting mentioned in my orientation yeah
0: seriously i mean um you can always go on the united states government page and look at travel alerts for every single country and they have like a one through four system where one is the safest and four Mm -hmm. is the don't go if you go there the u.s government will not come and save you if something happens so (laughs) (laughs) don't go to the four countries (laughs) but always good to check before you travel Egypt is in the desert. It is The main cities are um, Cairo, which is the capital city of Egypt, Luxor, and Alexandria, all located on the Nile River, which is a very fertile region. That's where all the big cities are because, of course, way back when, when there was only camels to take you places, people wanted to live by the river where they could take boats up and down. It was major for trade and also so fertile that they could grow a lot of crops and things like that. Um, as Egypt is an Arabic country, women should dress modestly and be aware of that. But also it is hot because you're going to be in the desert. So I've tried to, <laughs> just <laughs> a disclaimer, but I've tried to break up the itinerary where if you followed this trip, you would be able to go from hot to a little more mild to hot to a little bit more mild so
1: that you Aww, don't completely sweat. And <laughs> our listeners, um, a break in between the total desert heat. Exactly.
0: Stop number one in Egypt is where you will fly into. This is the largest city in Egypt and has a huge international airport. And that is Cairo, the capital city. It's a large, bustling, hot, kind of dirty, modern city. It's hectic, but definitely worth a visit because it's the true motherland of human civilization. And the highlight, <laughs> of course,
1: well, it is <laughs> motherland. <laughs> civilization. I They're not aliens. They don't have a motherland. We uh,
0: we all have a motherland and it is the Nile Basin. Alright, okay. I'll give it to you. <laughs> um, the first up when you go to Cairo should be the Egyptian Museum. If you've ever been to the Egyptian wing of any museum, you kind of have a br- small idea of what this is going to look like, but this museum is a walk through history, and it's a great place to start when you first get to Egypt because it'll tell you all about the country and all about the history of the place that you're going to, which makes it a really good starting point so you get a bit of a background before you go see literal like wonders of the world.
1: And who doesn't love being the smart mm. kid in the group when the tour guide asks questions? You get to go, oh, hey, <laughs> I know <Exactly>. that one. <laughs> exactly
0: so the egyptian museum starts from the ancient egyptians all the way through modern times um and it's neat because all of the treasures and the mummies and the things in the egyptian museum are actually in their home country where a lot of times like you go to a museum in the states or in europe you know the treasures were often stolen from egypt so it's kind of <laughs> nice to see it in their own homeland in cairo as well You know me. I love me a good market. Cairo has a very old, very authentic market called Khan al-Khalili, which I could be pronouncing wrong, but I think that's right. Um, Think very skinny lanes packed with shops centered around courtyards, some smooth-talking merchants, and all kinds of neat things that you can pick up and send home or in little touristy knickknacks.
1: Oh, the merchants always get you. You got to be careful. The merchants always get you. You have to barter.
0: You always have to barter because if they say it's a hundred, you say 50 or 25, however much you're feeling.
1: It's always Always the worst feeling in the world when you walk like three stalls down and you're like, huh, that's half Mm -hmm. the price is the one I just got. Exactly.
0: But this market was started in the 14th century and um, now, along with its original sections of gold, spices, and coppersmith shops, it's now home to tourist goods as well. Um, it's a neat place to go get lost. Of course, it's going to be hot and sweaty, but it's a great place to find some treasures while you're in Egypt.
1: I wonder if the spice helped to make it not smell bad with all the sweaty bodies. Ooh,
0: honestly, maybe.
1: That's a very <laughs> good point. I mean, I'm sure the spices section <laughs> smells the best. Yeah.
0: In Cairo, this is the area where you will find the Great Pyramids of Giza and the Sphinx, which obviously are the most iconic things that you think of when you think of Egypt. So the Great Pyramids of Giza are just um, 30 minutes outside of the city. It's easiest if you go with a tour company and you hire a guide to take you out there because no one wants to drive in a foreign country. But it's only between like $50 and $125 for a tour, for like a half or full day tour, which I thought was pretty reasonable considering you're seeing once in a lifetime kind of things. Yeah, isn't that one of the seven wonders of the world? I think so. It's also my favorite scene from Aladdin where they fly by in the magic carpet and the guy like (laughs) knocks the nose off the sphinx. That one's really good.
1: Mm, I like when she puts her hand in like the river or whatever but yours are more into <laughs> the podcast. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> sure, Cassidy. whatever.
0: <laughs> but um, when you go there, you th- see these three great humongous pyramids rising out of the desert. You can ride a camel. It's a great... I mean, you have to go. If you're going to Egypt, you have to go see the Great Pyramids of Giza. If you don't, don't talk to me anymore. That's ridiculous.
1: I can't believe they're so close to town. In my mind, they were like really out in the middle of nowhere.
0: Right. Well... I mean, it's because when you think about it, like when they were built, 30 minutes outside of town, that's like 20 kilometers. That was really far away. Mm, Yeah, yeah. But now that it's modern times, it's pretty easy to get out there. So once you're over the hustle and the bustle and the heat of Cairo, it's time for a relaxing river cruise down the Nile. The two major cities south of Cairo are Luxor and Aswan, which are both right on the Nile River. Taking a river cruise is a really great way to get down to these cities because one, it's relaxing. You get to be on the river so you have a bit of a breeze, but it's also really scenic. On the way down, there's a lot of ruins and you can see beautiful desert landscapes as well as sunsets and sunrises from the boat. Um, It's a nice slow way to get down there and I would say that the best way to describe these cities as a more slow pace of life, especially contrasting to Cairo, which is such a bustling city.
1: Yeah, all of the, like, Marina and I looked into going to Egypt, and all of the tours we looked at had a river cruise. Like, you had to do it. You have to do it. It's so (laughs) essential. So, the first city we'll stop at on our river
0: cruise all aboard (laughs) is Luxor. (laughs) You may be familiar with the Luxor Hotel in Las Vegas, which is named after this ancient city and has an Egyptian theme. But this real one, I promise you, is better than the one in Las Vegas. <laughs> it's a big promise. I don't know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Luxor is often referred to as the world's largest open-air museum because it seems like everywhere you go in Luxor, there, well, everywhere you go in Egypt, there's things that are so old and so big that it's hard to fathom how they were created before any modern machinery. And that is no different in Luxor. So Luxer is a step back in time. There's ancient ruins around every single corner. Think a very dry, deserty landscape with these big stone pillars and sphinx and obelisks just jutting out of the ground and kind of throwing off that, that very flat, rolling hills deserty landscape that you think of when you think
1: of Egypt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because when you think of a desert, there's nothing. Right. And there's definitely stuff here.
0: The first stop in Luxor, I'm going to tell you the two highlights, but the first is the Valley of the Kings, and you may have heard this about this if you've ever really like heard any ancient Egyptian history, but the Valley of the Kings has 63 tombs in total that ancient pharaohs were buried. And these days you can enter the Valley of the Kings. Your entry ticket gives you access to three rotating tombs and you can see, you can pay extra to see the well known pharaohs like King Tut and Ramses the sixth. Once you're in the tombs, they're beautifully and ornately painted with images of Egyptians gods and hieroglyphics all along the walls. And of course, there's some mummies because that's
1: where they're buried. I, yeah. I can't, I don't know. Like I, I know you'd have to do it, but in my head it's just so spooky. Like there's no way that that ends well in any of the movies and it's, <laughs> <laughs> just like booby traps or mummy comes alive or I don't know. Well, I mean, <laughs> I think it would be cra- like the craziest thing about
0: this is obviously you have to pay extra and go see King Tut, but you literally are face to face with his mummy. <laughs> I know. I know. It's like so weird to think about but kind of kind of gives you a feeling of being back into the old you know in the 1920s when they really started exploring the tombs and there were tomb robbers and mm-hmm. feeling like an old archaeologist almost
1: yeah that's definitely a way to get your hands in the dirt without getting dirty exactly the second stop in Luxor
0: is the Amun temple enclosure and this enclosure is part of the Karnak religious complex And man, be prepared to be blown away by just the sheer size of everything that you see. So there's this long line of sphinxes, hieroglyphics, and ruins of a temple here. You could spend a day just exploring and getting lost in all of these mazes and the rooms that are in this temple enclosure and just really getting deep into the history of the Egyptian people. Again, like everywhere you go in Egypt, I would really recommend hiring a tour guide just because. A lot of this old stuff, you can't, I mean, you can appreciate looking at it, but it's so much more interesting when you have a story to go along behind it. Mm -hmm. And I think that, especially, like, I feel like a lot of European cities you can kind of do and like walk through and see the big buildings and be like, oh, that's cool, and not really need to know what's going on behind it. But when you're in a country as old and like rich, full of history as Egypt, I think that hiring a tour guide in like the different places you go is super important.
1: One history is cool. Right. Exactly. (laughs) The stories are interesting. You know, it's what movies get their inspiration from a lot of the time is things actually happened in real life.
0: Exactly. I totally agree.
1: So once you're done
0: with Luxor and now you've gone from Cairo and you've gone to Luxor and you've just seen so much history and so many ruins and you know, it's, it's hot still the next spot. (laughs) Still, I'm just painting a scene. You're still in the desert. (laughs) Next, what you'll want to do is get back on that riverboat and head down to Aswan. And Aswan is um, down in the South of Egypt. And so it's as far South as we'll go on this tour, but um, it's definitely the complete opposite of Cairo. It's a very quiet, slow, quaint river town. And going down here on the river cruise, the great part about being in Aswan after being and seeing all the history is that you can just kind of chill out for a couple of days. <laughs> so <laughs> in Aswan, life moves slowly. There's palm trees and black granite boulders dotting this very sandy, deserty landscape and adding just pops of color and making you feel like you're finally seeing some greenery again.
1: Black is a pop of color. (laughs) Well,
0: okay. (laughs) When all you're seeing is sand, I feel like you'd be appreciative. No, it definitely would be a
1: nice change.
0: (laughs) Uh, Here in Aswan, you can relax in a guest house where you could take a swim in the river or just sit and spend your days on a riverboat restaurant, sipping tea and watching the boats lazily sail by. After you spend a few days in Aswan and, uh, you know, escape from the heat a little bit and have relaxed and are ready to go see more sights, take the night train back to Cairo up north. And then you're going to go onwards north to the Mediterranean Sea. And the most European city in Egypt, Alexandria. Woohoo! Alexandria is the second largest city in Egypt, and it was founded by Alexander the Great and was home to Cleopatra way back when.
1: Yes, queen! (laughs) Alexandria
0: has changed hands many, many times throughout history, and so... Not much history exists here anymore. There's a lot of the things that existed when Cleopatra was running around are either underwater and have sunk or have been destroyed or, and pillaged by different communities coming in and claiming the land. But while you're there, because it is such a European-style city... Stroll along the sea, shop at the souks, which are markets, and enjoy the more mild weather than you would get in Cairo and the rest of the desert. Alexandria is definitely more green than the rest of the country, and it's got a lot of cafes and an open layout. While you're there, you should explore the Pharaoh's Lighthouse, which I didn't know it existed, but it's one of the seven wonders of the world. I love that big. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And you can also add some adventure to your Egyptian vacation. <laughs> I feel like I'm like on a because telemarketing you show. have <laughs> any already.
1: <laughs> What's the adventure? Um,
0: the adventure in Alexandria is you can go to some famous dive sites, including Cleopatra's Palace
1: and Pharaoh's Island. Well, I mean, you said it sunk, right? So the only way to go see it is going down underwater. (laughs) Yeah. And both of these spots are actually accessible by
0: novice divers. So you can go there and dive for the first time and actually go see these spots. Oh, cool. Yeah. The very last spot that I'm going to recommend that's off the beaten path is the Siwa Oasis. And it's literally, I mean, it's an oasis, which is just like So you're traveling through the Sahara Desert, and it's hot, and it's sandy, and you're tired. And then, all of a sudden, (laughs) out of nowhere, there's this oasis with lakes and greenery and olive trees and a whole civilization. Are you sure it's not a mirage? Exactly. Most people (laughs) probably think it is. (laughs) The Siwa Oasis is on the western side of the country, right near the border of Libya. Um, So it's definitely out of the way. But the reason why I recommend it is because it has very unique ruins that contrast the rest of Egypt. So here, the ruins are made of this mud brick and built right into the rocky hills. And so there's this old abandoned city, a citadel. And Looking at it from afar, it's almost like the windows and doorways, and this is going to sound creepy, but I mean it in, like, a very poetic way, like, almost look like eyes in the desert, Um, and so that – it's, like, a very neat backdrop on this oasis. So there's, you know, palm trees and these lakes around, and then this abandoned city. Um, But the best part about going all the way out to the SeaWorld Oasis is, one, you can go out there and relax, but it's also a great jumping off spot if you want to go explore more of the Sahara Desert, doing camel rides, ATV adventures, or other explorations into the desert.
1: I wonder, you probably don't know, but because it's kind of, like, further away, I wonder if those, like, things that would be crazy priced in the city, like camel rides, would be cheaper out there.
0: Um, I think that... It could be, but I think that going all the way out to see Oasis is quite expensive oh, okay. just yeah. in whatever travel guides you're going to do. So this would definitely be like the splurge part of your trip. Um, and I think that the tourists who do get all the way out there, you know, you kind of have to expect to pay higher prices. But those are the tips and tricks I have to visiting Egypt. I feel like I'm going to go do this itinerary ASAP. <laughs> <laughs> um So if anyone wants to
1: come with me, hit me up. (laughs) Now our inbox is going to be flooded.
0: Hey, Allie, you coming. (laughs) Egypt, here we come. Let's go see the mummies, do some Indiana Jones adventures. I'm ready. I think the coolest thing, like the thing that I can't get over is you can literally like go hang out with King Tut's mummy. In people's tombs, yeah. In their tombs. I think that's wild. All right, Cass, what do we got today?
1: I'm I'm excited. Yeah, you know, me too. I actually am stoked about this one. I have to give myself a little pat on the back because last week I really wanted to do something with voodoo. Managed to pull it off. This week I was like, Egypt, come on, I have to do something with mummies. And hey, your girl pulled it out. Woohoo! <laughs> so this week I'm covering The screening Mummy. The Screaming Mummy? The Screaming Mummy. Oh my gosh. (laughs) The Screaming Mummy was a mummy originally found in the Deir el-Bahari tomb complex in Egypt way, way back in 1886. When archaeologists first found the mummified body, they were surprised to see the face of the long-dead Egyptian was distorted in anguish and appearing to be silently screaming.
0: Man, that's the craziest thing about mummies is that they figured out how to
1: preserve
0: these humans so
1: well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, they look so lifelike and it it was not the most fun researching the topic because there are so many photos and I was like, this is just (laughs) too lifelike for me to be comfortable sleeping tonight. So (laughs) I don't recommend (laughs) Google, but uh but anyways, over the years, there's been lots of theories about why this man like, ended up looking this way, whether it was something that he did, if he died screaming, or if he is made to look like it after death. And they don't really know, but this isn't the only thing that's unusual about this mummy. The screaming mummy was also apparently found covered in sheepskin, which according to the ancient Egyptians usually meant that this was someone who did something bad in their life. Oh, wrapping, interesting. Yeah. Wrapping the body in sheepskin was a sign of like ritual impurity. So it was like really not something that was done to many Egyptian bodies. The mummy also didn't have a grave marker, which according to customs meant that he wouldn't get a role in the afterlife, which if you know hmm. anything was a big deal. Yeah, clearly they did not like this guy. Yeah, his feet and hands were bound, and he wasn't given a proper mummification. There were no preserving fluids, and his internal organs were still in the body. And he was left out to kind of naturally uh, mummify with the natrin, the natural salt from the dry lake beds in Egypt. The embalmers did pour some resin into his mouth, which is one theory of why the facial muscles were strained open. Um, But they don't really know. So you have all these signs that this guy did something bad. He's not worthy of an afterlife, but at the same time, the mummy was buried with other members of the royal family. So he's in company of these like big, heavy hitters in Egyptian history, but he has all these ritually impure things about his mummy. Bob Breyer, he's an archaeologist from Long Island University, said that there were kind of two forces on the mummy. One was trying to get rid of him, and the other was trying to preserve him. So it looked like Someone did care about him, but of course, his actions or something happened where, you know, he wasn't really worthy of it. So people are baffled for years and years, but 2018, we get a break in the case of the screaming mummy. Woo! Scientists performed a 3000 year old paternity test. What? Yeah. They tested some evidence from this mummy against another mummy because they had a theory of who he might've been. And their theory proved true when the DNA test matched with one of the pharaohs. So they tested the screaming mummy's DNA, thinking that he was a guy named Prince Pedawer, who is known to be one of the sons of renowned pharaoh Ramses III. And his genetic analysis strongly suggested that the two were father and son.
0: It's amazing to me that we can do DNA tests on people who have been dead for 3,000 years and figure out.
1: Yeah, that's just so bananas to me. To the specificity of like your paternity. It's crazy. So the oddities of the screaming mummy kind of make sense when you learn more about who Prince Pedaware is because he was sentenced to death for his role in the assassination attempt of his father, Ramses III, who ruled in 12th century BC.
0: Wow, no wonder they didn't like him. Mm -hmm.
1: And, of course, because we're travel with a chance of murder, we'll dive into that assassination attempt and learn about what he did to earn the fate of the Screaming Mummy. Mummies and murder, you gotta love it. (laughs) (laughs) So, learning about Prince Petower's father first, Ramses III ruled Egypt from 1184 to 1155 B.C., during Egypt's 20th dynasty, he ruled in a pretty turbulent time in the Mediterranean. He had the Trojan War as part of his rule. He had the fall of Mycenae. And it's said that in present times, the name Ramses is like the name Caesar in Rome.
0: Oh, no way.
1: Yeah, I thought that was a cool I analogy. I know that. I also, as part of my research this week, got to watch another documentary. ooh. ooh. <laughs> so this week was from the Discovery Channel. And they talked about how King Ramses III, usually kings at this time would only have one great wife. They could take, you know, of course, whatever, how many women as lovers, but they could only have one great wife. But <laughs> That's so funny to me. <laughs> <laughs> they could do whatever they wanted. But King Ramses III decided that he was going to have two great wives, T- Tias and Esses And of course, with two great wives bared him two young princes with both a claim to the throne
0: with two different wives.
1: Yeah. So there's a rivalry, two sons around the same age with like actual legitimate claims to having the throne. And so of course the mothers were instant rivals. They both wanted their son on the throne and this rivalry passed on to their sons. So the sons grew up fierce competitors, of course, they're you know competing for the greatest empire on earth at the time, so no wonder that with no clear line of succession, he had a court that was basically a ticking time bomb of jealousy and treason. Many scholars consider Ramses III to be the last king to have substantial power over Egypt and marked the end of the Golden Age of Egypt. The end of his rule saw unfavorable weather conditions, so food production was really bad, the crops were dying, they really were basically starving. And so this marked the first protest in history when people mobbed the palace because -uh. they were starving. (laughs) I would too. (laughs) And while the kingdom was crumbling, so was Ramses' health. Scholars saw from a CT scan of Ramses' third mummy that he had intense heart problems and could tell that like from walking or climbing stairs, the king would have had severe pain from these heart problems. That's
0: so, again... (laughs) <laughs> so wild to me that science
1: can figure that out.
0: Like, oh, excuse me, Ramses III, did you have heart problems? Oh, yes, actually, in fact, I
1: did. I couldn't walk up the stairs. Like, what? <laughs> and it was interesting, too, the documentary talked about how they weren't allowed to unwrap any of the wrappings of the mummy, so they did all these scans through all these layers of wrappings and bandages. It's amazing. But, of course, with the king not doing so well health-wise, the Queen saw her opportunity to get her beloved son, Prince Pettoware, to the throne. Unfortunately, it seemed that Ramses Third favored his half-brother, Ramses IV, so they knew that if they wanted Prince Pettoware on the throne, something had to be done. And being a woman of action, Tees decided that killing Ramses Third would be the only way for her son to get on the throne. She began to recruit other members of the court to make it happen. Dang, And this actually was super easy. I was surprised to hear that she really could basically just go up to people and convince them that, you know, Ramses III wasn't really cutting it anymore. And it was was interesting because it talked about how people in the palace weren't dumb. Like they knew their family outside of the palace were starving. Right, not all stuck-up nobles that only care about themselves. You know, they're not just out for them. They know that the people outside the palace are dying because they're not getting enough food. So she talks them to get on her side of the plan, and she's able to recruit over a dozen members of the pharaoh's inner circle, including the head of the treasury, his personal physician, a military (laughs) captain, a butler, and the chief royal chamberlain man you don't want
0: those people against you
1: no but I'm just shocked that she would even ask some of these people because if you ask the wrong person if they're still on board and and, like wanting the king to be on rule if they whisper anything about your plan like that's almost immediate execution well I mean clearly this woman is a schemer and she knows what's up Unfortunately, her scheming is not successful and the ancient papyrus details that they were indeed caught and put on trial. So part of the papers say that they were planning on, their plan was to use some wax figurines and some other magic to get past the Royal Guards. They had the official court magician on their side and it was said that at the time he would use like drugs as part of the incense and then he would burn them. So he was going to burn some drugs with the wax figurines to get the guards kind of delirious. And so they could bypass the guards to get to King Ramses. That is awesome. That's <laughs> just like so smart. <laughs> Out of a spy movie. It is a, it is a spy movie. And the girl is the mastermind. Like, it's awesome. Yes. But the ancient papyrus show the conspiracy failed because someone tipped off. The half brother, Ramses Fourth, who found sacred or magical texts on one of the conspirators. So someone tips him off, they find the evidence hard on the person's body, and then they're all arrested and put on trial.
0: Dun, dun, dun.
1: Adding some mystery, it doesn't say whether or not the plot was successful in killing Ramses III, but there is a lot of evidence that shows that they actually were able to kill the king. Nuh uh. Yeah, for example. Go, great wife, go. <laughs> <laughs> for example, um, the trial documentation, so like all the paperwork that shows information about what happened for the trial, and the information that talks about Ramses the death, all are listed with the same month and the same year. Ooh, okay. And the texts that talk about his death talk about him as the great god. Which is a term that's usually restricted to deceased pharaohs. So scholars are kind of thinking that he was either murdered prior to the unraveling of the scheme, or they're able to kill him and then were caught in like the fleeing from the crime. Wow! Even more is more DNA. Ooh! So in 2012, DNA analysis was done on the mummy of Ramses the Third. Like I said, they did a CT scan. And they were able to find a large wound in his neck caused by a sharp knife or blade. Oh, yeah. He was totally murdered. (laughs) Right? The wound. (laughs) It suffered his trachea, his esophagus, and would have killed him instantly. So it shows, again, yeah, that the plot was probably successful.
0: Classic murder. Yep. This is textbook.
1: (laughs) the researchers were able to see that there's an amulet of Horus, the patron god of kings in ancient Egypt that was lodged in the mummy's throat. So they think it was like a lucky charm and that they embalmers were trying to like restore the wound during, during mummification. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Apparently the amulet was generally used for healing purposes. So they were trying to protect him and cure him for the afterlife. Yeah. So he doesn't have a hole in his neck.
0: It's probably good. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But the demise of Prince Pedaware is a largely debated thing between scholars. What happened to the would have been king in the resulting end of being caught for this conspiracy. Some people say that he would have been poisoned or buried alive during the trial. Yikes. Both very terrible ways to go, but Egypt was pretty ruthless back in the day. One of the popular theories is that he would have been sentenced to hang because of his part in the conspiracy. And what's interesting is researchers saw that his lungs were overinflated, which could have been Mm. a sign of death by suffocation or strangulation.
0: Interesting.
1: And the body of the screaming mummy had markings around his neck. Again, classic murder. (laughs) Death. Well, I read a couple of sources that said they might have like allowed him to kill himself. Like, thank you so much for letting me hang myself. (laughs) Okay. But also like who's going to like
0: strangle themselves. That seems like a terrible way to go.
1: Yeah. But that is the centuries-old plot of the Screaming Mummy and Pharaoh Remsius III and what happened and how they figured it out, that the Screaming Mummy, it was all along one of the royal members and that there was this crazy plot <laughs> to kill the king. And this is what resulted from it. Man, that is so cool. That is so cool that they know that this happened. Well, and for so many years, he was just referred to as Unknown Man E., and then after all these <laughs> testings came about, they were able to figure it out. I'm so glad that they cared that much. Mm-hmm. That they were like, we got to figure out who unknown man E is. Well, I'd be curious too as well. And they also talked about how like Ramsey is the third. His tomb was raided. And then they moved him to this other area where the screaming mummy was. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, it didn't tell me what happened to Queen he is, his one, the great wife that planned the scheme. I would have liked to know, but I'm sure it would have been pretty awful.
0: Yeah, I, I wonder if they have found her mummy anywhere. The
1: documentary said they've never
0: found her body. Really? Yeah. Huh. I'm almost surprised that she wasn't, I mean, I don't know anything about burial rituals in ancient Egypt, but I'm almost surprised that she wasn't buried near her son.
1: Yeah, that is awesome. I mean, especially mm-hmm. if they were both,
0: there to commit treason against the pharaoh like you would think that they would kind of bury them together I don't know
1: That's my well thought. and if the pharaoh ca- cared enough about her to make her a great wife yeah you would exactly. think but if he you maybe she'd get something or he got a chance to, <laughs> to make <laughs> that call
0: <laughs> who knows man that was a great story great job Cass
1: Thanks. Yeah, I was excited to find a mummy. I was not, like, I was not finding anything, and I was getting really stressed. (laughs) No, that was
0: a really good one.
1: Your tour was excellent, too. I will hire you right away to book us trips to Egypt.
0: Let's go see some mummies. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Travel with a Chance of Murder. This was our episode on Egypt, and we are so excited to see you next week, where we head off to another destination somewhere around the globe. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you then. On behalf of the flight crew, thank you for flying with us and have a pleasant day.